You are now listening to the Ancient Health Podcast and in the news mini episode series. These small bite conversations bring a fresh perspective to the breaking topics within natural health and modern medicine, from science and technological advancements to food, biohacking, and modernized natural remedies. This is your trusted place for a fresh perspective of the things that matter most in your life. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Ancient Health Podcast. This is an in the news mini episode. And today we're talking about aspartame. So this is really relevant to the scene right now because the World Health Organization has come out uh, as of July 14th, 2023, that they have linked now aspartame, which we know has been in question for some time. And if you follow any general health guidelines, you would know that this is something you want to steer clear of at all costs. However, we haven't had large organizations come out and claim that this is a pose to human health. Now, the citing of the evidence is in relation to it being a carcinogen. It is not necessarily classified as a carcinogen. This is what we call a group B, which means it is possibly, on the basis of limited evidence, linked to cancer in humans. There are several different uh, groupings of carcinogenic activity as it relates to a substance for human health. But group 2B is the third highest out of four levels, and it's generally used either when there's limited not necessarily convincing evidence for cancer in humans or when there's convincing evidence for cancer in lab animals, not necessarily both. So what does this mean for you? It means that this is a substance where there is enough evidence in human group studies to identify it as a pose to cancer. Now, carcinogens are pretty bad. Like these are the things that are really lethal to the body. So anytime there's a possibility of this, we've got to be able to raise our eyebrows and say, it, there's no, really no amount that really should be tolerated because in no way is it helping or supporting your health. It only has drawbacks. Now, if you follow the FDA, FDA has claimed, and this is one of their quotes, aspartame is one of the most exhaustively studied substances in the human food supply with more than 100 studies supporting its safety. The FDA scientists have reviewed scientific data regarding the safety of aspartame in food and concluded that it is safe for the general population under certain conditions. So let's talk about what some of those conditions are, because when we talk about is aspartame safe or is it not safe, a lot of it has to do with the dosing. Have you ever heard the phrase where it says the the poison is in the dose? And that's really what they're measuring is a tolerable amount to human health. Now, as your friend, I would tell you, and as somebody that is that is always seeking to be educated in natural health, I would never recommend aspartame as a part of any diet. However, These organizations are gonna say, hey, it's totally acceptable up to a certain threshold, then that's really when it poses the risk. So let's look at what they actually say the guidelines are. So the FDA has set the ADI for aspartame at 50 milligrams per kilogram. One kilogram is about 2.2 pounds of body weight. So if you need the conversion, that is your conversion. So to put these levels into perspective, the FDA estimates that a person weighing about 132 pounds would have to consume about 75 packets of aspartame in a day to reach the upper end of that 50 milligrams per kilogram a day. I mean, that's a lot. Now, if we also want to put this in perspective when we talk about uh, cans of soda, a person weighing about 154 pounds would have to consume at least nine to 14 cans of diet soda per day. Now, you're going to hear a lot of people, and there's been several outspoken personalities in the health arena that have said, you know, hey, this is nothing new. I don't know why we're all up in arms about it. You know, aspartame is terrible, and, you know, nobody's consuming 14 cans a day, which they're probably right. I mean, if you're consuming 14 cans a day, 
I mean, congratulations for being alive because I just don't know how your gut handles that. Now I'm not trying to knock anybody that's maybe drinking, you know, copious amounts of Diet Coke every single day. But that's a lot. I mean, 14 cans, like that's a sprint. You got to be like getting up every day and really putting out some effort to get that done. So the point in saying that is that what do we take away from this? And there are two things that I want to point out. One is the history of aspartame, because I think it's significant when we start to look at things like the World Health Organization, the FDA, and other organizations that regulate our food supply and how they respond to things. I'm not going to, we're not going to get into a political rabbit trail about these different organizations, but if you know the history of aspartame, you are going to raise questions across the board. And so that's one thing that I want to point out. The other thing is too, that what's not being looked at is the effect of these non-caloric sweeteners on your microbiome. Now, all of these studies are linking to cancer, specifically a liver-specific cancer. So that's one area, right? Okay, great. This is something that's bad. It's burdening the liver. It's potentially causing cancer. But what else is it doing? It's actually affecting your microbes. And we're going to talk about what the ramifications are for consuming these products. The other thing you've got to realize is that these non-caloric sweeteners, specifically aspartame, are found in over 6,000 food products. That is a lot of food products. We're talking about puddings and chewing gum, diet sodas, a lot of sugary processed foods. And what we'll see are these, these specific foods are being targeted as diet products. So a lot of people that have blood sugar dysregulation and metabolic issues are opting for these products because they don't have the, the added sugar to them. They're non-caloric sweeteners. So the calorie content is lower. The sugar response is different. And people think, hey, this is a superior product. I'm getting the same thing that I want, but without all the sugar. But you got to hold your horses here because like I said, there is a huge component of you processing food in your gut. These non-caloric sweeteners don't get absorbed and used the same way that a natural sweetener does, but it does actually come in contact with all of your microbes all the way down into your lower intestine colon. And that is going to affect your immune system. It affects everything in your body. And if we don't acknowledge that, then we're missing something really big, a huge piece to the puzzle, which has a lot to do with your health. And maybe it doesn't manifest in cancer, but it may have major ramifications for your metabolic health. And ultimately, all of these other systems that are connected to your gut, the gut is the cornerstone piece. So let's take a look and unpack these. All right, so let's first look at where aspartame came from. Just a quick run through history of how it even got into our food supply to begin with. I mean, how in the world did we end up with aspartame? And why is it just now, decades later, we're recognizing that this is a problem? So by 1976, there was a company called G.D. Searles Company. Now, he campaigned to have the approval of aspartame brought to market, but there was a lot of controversy about it, specifically with the, the studies and the laboratory practices that supported the production of it. So it raised a lot of red flags to, from the FDA right from the start. March 5th, 1973, one of the first FDA scientists to review aspartame said that the information provided by Cyril is inadequate to permit the evaluation of potential toxicity to aspartame. So the FDA had a little bit of some hesitation right from the beginning, and this is in the early 70s. So now the FDA report prompted a grand jury investigation led by a attorney, U.S. attorney named Sam Skinner. Now, six months later, Skinner resigned from the U.S. attorney's office and took a position at Searle's law firm. Okay, little bit of conflict of interest, right? By 1977, Searle had hired former Illinois congressman and former Secretary of Defense, 
Donald Rumsfeld as its CEO. Okay, see all the pieces coming together? This is crazy, right? By December of that year, 1977, the statute of limitations had run out on the grand jury investigation and the charges against Searle were dropped by the U.S. Attorney's Office. So opposition to aspartame was there from the very beginning, but it was being increasingly supported by these independent scientific studies that were kind of bolstering its case. And now having Rumsfeld in a political position, his, he was able to muscle it through and get it approved. So on July 15th, 1981, in one of his first official acts of FDA commissioner under Ronald Reagan, Dr. Arthur Hayes approved aspartame for dry goods. This is the first time we start to see aspartame showing up. Wasn't long after that, that Europe began to approve it. And then after that, we found liquid forms. Now you saw big companies like Coca-Cola and Pepsi jump all over this because this is really the time when diet culture, right? Talk about sugar and fat and foods were so demonized. People are gaining weight because they're eating all these processed foods and they're looking for ways to reduce their caloric load. People want to eat the same thing, but they want to have a specific look and achieve a certain body type. And you can't eat crap and look really good. So there's aspartame, right? Aspartame is the silver bullet. Everybody thinks, hey, I can enjoy all my sugary foods. I can enjoy my Coca-Cola. And just like that, aspartame now becomes the hero. Now, a couple of people came on the scene and really, really kind of brought forth some of the problems with aspartame right out of the gate. There was a woman named Betty Martini. She created an entire mission against aspartame, and she took it all over, was very outspoken, and had a huge impact on awareness around the symptoms associated with aspartame. And as people started to realize that their headaches and their stomach aches and their bloating and all of these different things could be alleviated by removing aspartame, there began to become a little bit more of a concern on the consumer side. There was also a doctor who's a neurosurgeon, Dr. Blaylock. Uh, he, was the, he authored several different books, one called Excitotoxins, The Taste That Kills. And he talks about how aspartame is a toxin like arsenic and cyanide. So he demonstrated that aspartame not only causes tumors and cancers, but things like seizures and other chronic health problems. He believes that it can make people feel all kinds of things based on the impact to the brain and neurotransmitters. So now it gets even a little bit deeper because we've got other people in the medical field that are seeing that there are massive problems with people consuming even small amounts of aspartame in their diet. Now, just to kind of put a bow on the history lesson here, <laughs> this might blow your mind. Maybe it won't, but I was not surprised. I was not surprised when I read this. So in 1985, 1985 is a great year. That was the year I was born, except for this part. <laughs> this part was not great. Monsanto, okay, you guys know Monsanto, right? Monsanto is, gosh, the big hairy gorilla that owns all kinds of food-based products and a lot of herbicides, pesticides. They are the makers of glyphosate. You know, Monsanto's come under so much fire because they've done just collateral damage to agriculture and ultimately the consumer goods that, um, that we're purchasing and all of the byproducts for the farming and manufacturing. So Monsanto now purchases G.D. Searle, the chemical company that held the patent to aspartame. So the active ingredient is NutraSweet. Monsanto now has no problem with aspartame. They now own all of it and all of the rights and can push it through, through any of their channels with all of the different foods that they're associated with. Now, I want to rewind really quick because I want to break down what aspartame is. It's basically made up of three components, aspartic acid, phenylalanine, and methyl ester. 
Now, methyl ester gets broken down into methanol, which is basically a wood alcohol. It's the simplest form of alcohol. It's kind of a light, volatile, colorless, flammable liquid, right? It sounds like gasoline, right? And you wouldn't be wrong for thinking that because it's also used for the production of biodiesel. Yes, like the biodiesel fuel that you put in a car. It's crazy, right? But unlike ethanol, which you may be familiar with, which is actually okay, ethanol is actually tolerated by humans, methanol is highly toxic and completely unfit for human consumption. So if methyl ester, which is makes up about 10% of aspartame, is then converted to methanol, listen to this, it is further broken down into formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is the stuff you use to embalm things. It's the stuff that you put dead things in. And formaldehyde, we know, is absolutely lethal to the body and to our cells. Okay, so now put these pieces together. The correlation of carcinogens and cancer to aspartame was based off of studies that pointed to liver cancer. This would make complete sense because if you have the derivative of formaldehyde from a part of aspartame, a component that makes up aspartame, it would make sense that the organ responsible for detoxification is going to run into a lot of problems with this toxic compound it can't get rid of. It can't get rid of formaldehyde. Formaldehyde comes in and it just is destructive. So this is all making sense. Now, nobody else will say this and you're not going to find the World Health Organization, even though they got all these brilliant people supposedly, they're not going to put this together for you. But what I hope this is doing is painting a picture of not only the history of some of our food, which is very concerning, and I know many of you already look at everything with a uh, a lens of scrutiny, which is great. I mean, it kind of stinks that this is the world. This this is what we have to do. We have to go to the grocery store and assume everything is bad unless you convince me that it's good and it's something that's a whole food. But this is why a whole foods diet is so necessary because who wants to have to work through all of these processed foods and try and figure out weeding out which ones are acceptable and which ones aren't? Stick to whole foods is bottom line. That's just going to make your life easier. Now, I want to pivot for a moment and talk about the microbiome. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but let's get a little bit more specific about the influence of non-caloric sweeteners on your microbiome. Now, you'll find all kinds of sweeteners, right? There's There are things like monk fruit and stevia. There's all kinds of these derivatives that actually are very, very sweet, hyper palatable, but they do alter the microbiome in some way. Now, when we're talking specifically about aspartame, you've got to understand that it is bacteriostatic, which means that it will actually sterilize specific strains of bacteria in your gut. The two that we know that it influences are lacto and bifido strains. This is really important because those strains of bacteria are responsible for producing the neurotransmitters GABA and serotonin in your gut. And if you know about neurotransmitters, we actually have another episode we did with um, Allie Miller on this, and I'll make sure I link it in the show notes, but she goes into this a little bit more in detail. But these neurotransmitters are like the landing gear and the brakes on your stress response system. So these are inhibitory neurotransmitters. They're the ones that are going to slow you down and put the brakes on. So when you start getting too amped up, you need these things as, uh, as buffers really to your nervous system so that you're not running hot and heavy all the time. Now, you can see how this would be problematic, right? Because if you're drinking and consuming a chemical compound that's killing off the bacteria responsible for making that, it would make sense that we start to see problems with people's brains, that they start to feel anxious and 
They start to have depression because you need these neurotransmitters. They're chemical messengers and communicators to your brain to tell you and, and to direct, honestly, your mood. So this is really critical. And it's important to realize that not just these things that we're putting in, you know, a lot of processed foods, these non-caloric artificial sweeteners, but everything you eat, your food is communication to your body. So you got to think about that. When you go to eat something, it's not just food is calories. It's food is information to your body. So here's what I would challenge you with. If aspartame is not a part of your diet, that's great. I would not I would not suggest incorporating it into your diet. If maybe you're using and relying on a lot, a lot of non-caloric sweeteners, even if it's not aspartame, but it's sucralose or it's something else that's similar and in the family, it's replacing an addiction or a craving for sugar, get back to whole foods. So a little honorable mention here on some of the whole food forms of sweeteners, because just like you, I have a little bit of a sweet tooth and I like to have a dessert every now and then. However, I think that it can really be, it can really bode well for your health if you opt for whole food forms of sweeteners over the non-caloric ones, because they are heavily processed. Even things like erythritol, monk fruit, stevia, if you get so attached to them, and we see this in like the paleo keto communities, people love all these like you know, little keto bars and snacks. And if you're in a pinch, you know, those things are great. Listen, I have them downstairs in my pantry too. But the problem is that every time we start relying on those, they're, they're hyper palatable. And so they start to make us crave more food. And when we get far further away from our natural baseline of what our body really needs, it's hard to interpret the feedback. So you'll notice this if you start eating, like you have, you know, maybe a weekend, you go away and you're like at a wedding and you're eating cake and drinking champagne. You generally come home and you feel like you're constantly hungry or you're craving salty and you're craving sweet. It's because you've kind of messed up the communication signals in your body. So now you don't really know what you need. You just, your, your microbes are telling you, feed us more sugar, feed us more sugar. And that's, that's going to put you in a position where you're going to consume a lot more calories. Your body's going to store a lot more. It's going to mess up your blood sugar. It's going to have impacts across the board metabolically. So the more that you can just stick to natural whole foods, whole food forms of sugar, the better off you're going to be, hands down. So a couple of my favorites, raw honey, absolutely one of my favorites. So many vitamins and minerals in raw honey. A little bit goes a long way. It is very sweet naturally. So I find that using a little bit in tea or in baked goods actually really hits the mark for a lot of things. Dates are also another great one. Now, if you've never taken like an almond butter or peanut butter, and sliced a date open, like take take the pit out, put some nut butter in there, and then freeze it. I mean, I'm pretty sure when I was pregnant with Marley, I had one or two of those dates, like an almond butter, frozen almond butter stuffed date every single day. Like I was probably consuming two or three of them a day by the end, because they say that, you know, dates help ripen, you know, your uterus and everything else. But anyway, I digress. Dates are a phenomenal source of nutrients and minerals, but also are sweet. You can also get dates in a powder. So if you're like, I don't really know how to cook with a date, you know, I can just eat it by itself. But you can actually find date powder, which is sweet. And that's really good to bake with. The, another natural one is coconut sugar. That's really easy and affordable. You can use blackstrap molasses. You could even use banana puree. Um, bananas are really sweet, or you could just add a mashed banana in whatever you're making and it adds a little bit of sweet flavor to it. Real fruit jams can also be good. If you're looking for something that is, you know, non-caloric, I've personally used a little bit of monk fruit and had no problems with that. 
I generally like the liquid form of stevia over the powdered form, but that's just a person personal suggestion there. Where have we been on this podcast? Where are we going? What are the takeaways? So aspartame in a nutshell, sold under the brand names NutraSweet and Equal. You'll find them in those little pink packets all the time at all kinds of restaurants all over the place. They're also in thousands of different food products in the grocery store. We know that they are acceptable according to the World Health Organization and the FDA, according to certain limits. However, we are seeing increasing studies proving that there is uh, a link to cancer and it is now grouped as a possible carcinogen. Now, if the World Health Organization is saying that, then you know it's got to be pretty bad because they're usually, one, way late to the game. Like, <laughs> we all see the writing on the wall way before they ever acknowledge it. So now they're finally acknowledging it. We should all really know that, you know, our hunches, we hedged our bets and we're pretty right that aspartame should not be in our diet in any capacity. But knowing the methanol and aspartame connection is really interesting too, and how the byproducts of that are so toxic to the body. Also realizing that the people that are the most susceptible are going to be pregnant women and children. You do not want to have this stuff in a child's body or a pregnant woman consuming it. Because if you think about it, if it crosses the blood brain barrier and we've got toxic compounds in the body, what is it doing to the baby's nervous system and brain as it's developing? And now they won't, I have looked high and low for all different types of studies on links to autism and brain development and uh, uh, issues with the nervous system and all, all kinds of things. And you're going to get conflicting information everywhere you turn. But there are case studies where they have actually measured pregnant women they measured their blood serum and actually looked for those compounds, the derivatives of aspartame, and then linked it to genetic issues with a child as it is connected to their brain health. So they've seen retardation and other forms of neurological imbalances in a child once it's born from the mother that has consumed large or high quantities of aspartame. So I'm not even going to cite the studies. I've just read several different testimonials about that, that several different doctors, OBGYNs and practitioners have cited that they've seen in their practice. So these are not published studies. This is just literature that I've been reading. But I thought it's worth mentioning because it is really significant for women and for children. So make sure that ladies don't even just don't go there during your pregnancy for sure. And make sure that your kids are not consuming these products because they are so incredibly unhealthy for their bodies. So I hope that this podcast has been interesting. Maybe you've learned a couple little things. I know I learned a ton when I was doing some research on this topic and I thought I knew a lot about aspartame, but there were a lot of things I didn't know. So kind of opened my eyes to the world of non-caloric sweeteners, the influence on the microbiome, and some potential healthier options that you can incorporate in your diet. If you like this episode, I would love it if you would share it, drop us a comment. You can drop it over on my personal Instagram, at Organic Blondie, or you can head over to the Health Institute and drop it there. Visit us on YouTube. You can get the whole episode live with video over on YouTube. Thanks guys. We will see you on the next episode. Hey, Dr. Axe here. I want to say thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss a thing. Also, if you're in search of more natural health content, you can follow us at Health Institute on Instagram or subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes below. Hey, thanks a lot and have a blessed week.